Well, good morning or afternoon whenever you're watching this, and uh, thank you for joining us. If you have your Bibles, open up to uh, Mark chapter 4. Uh, we're going to finish up our series today in Four Chair Discipleship. I don't know if you've seen this uh, video that's going around the internet. Some of you have, some of you probably haven't, but there's a, a recording of a, of a meeting between a judge and two lawyers. And uh, one of the lawyers has some sort of feature turned on his Zoom settings uh, that is making him uh, look like a cat, and the cat is talking, and the judge is trying to get him to turn it off. It's actually quite hysterical. The, the lawyer finally says, I'm not a cat, and I just want to move on. Uh, Jory and I just had about 45 minutes of the same experience trying to uh, set up uh, just the simple things that we do every week, and I had some feature turned on that had closed captioning, and we couldn't get it to go off. Uh, and so, man, I tell you, the simplest things, things I've done my entire life, uh, they, they've just been a challenge lately, they, haven't they, with the pandemic and, and uh, now, you know, with snow or whatever it is, it just seems like every day there's a new challenge. But we are fortunate that we can still worship today, study God's Word. And so let's take a moment and pray, and, uh, and then we'll dig into God's Word today. Father, thank you that in the midst of all that's going on, that you are still God, that you are still on your throne, that we are convinced of your goodness because you loved us so much to send your son, Jesus Christ, that we have hope, that we are part of, of eternal family, that you are working in and through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you that we can join together in this way and open up your word. And God, I pray that even though that we are distant today, God, that you would be speaking to our hearts and moving us in, in our motivation and our obedience to making disciples. And so, God, I pray that you would just uh, be with us we're, as we're separate today as a family, that you might encourage our hearts together. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in Mark chapter 4, and I want to just do a little overview, review of the four chair discipleships. But specifically today, we're going to talk about the roadblocks that we face to discipleship. And we're going to talk about the external roadblock, which is the evil one, and then the internal battles or roadblocks that we face, which is my heart, and the second internal roadblock, or third internal roadblock that we face is your heart. And so we're going to look at those things. So just real quickly, a review. When we talk about this four-chair discipleship, we had four chairs up here, and chair one was the seeker. And... This is the person that hasn't come to Christ uh, yet or is in the process of coming to Christ. And Pastor Rich dealt with this last week as I was gone. Um, and he uses the, the three terms, cultivate, plant, and reap. And so we're cultivating the heart of the unbeliever because their hearts might be hard because of hurts or questions that they have. Or, or maybe even past experiences with the church or with Christians. Um, we, we know that their heart might be hard just because they're just lost and Satan has uh, hidden things from them. And so we cultivate relationship with them and we cultivate their heart by breaking up some of the hard soil. And then we plant, we, we share our testimony, we share truths with them, we plant a seed of the gospel, we share the gospel, and then hopefully we get to a point where we reap. Chair two is the believer, and we uh, separated those as the infant and the child. That when somebody comes to Christ, they're this, this infant, this new believer, and the process is for us to share. 
uh, we share our life with them, right? When you have a baby, you do everything for them and with them. Uh, you share new truths with them. You, you share new habits with them. You're teaching them new things. Uh, as they get older and move into that child stage, we want to make sure that we're connecting them. And so we share and then we connect. We connect them to God. We want to teach them to personally study God's word and, and to get things from it. Uh, we want to connect them to a small group and family accountability. Uh, we want to connect them to purpose, uh, discovering their gifts and passions. And when we move to chair three, that's the worker. It's the young adult. And that's probably the stage that maybe most of us relate to. Uh, in that process, we're equipping them for ministry. And one of the things that we said was one of the key of the worker chair, right, that young adult, was learning to die to self. In other words, if we still want everything done for us and to us and around us, right, we're still acting childlike. And so the young adult is learning to die to self, and we're providing opportunities for them to minister. And, and one of the ways that we disciple people who are learning to serve in ministry is we just say, we, we invite them, we say, uh, watch me do it. And then let's do it together. Let's both do it. And then I'll watch you do it. And then you do it. And so it's just a process of turning ministry over to people. We release them to ministry. And then chair four, what we had here as a couch, is the disciple maker. And uh, chair four uh, represents the parent or the grandparent. And that process is, is teaching them, making sure they understand uh, the process of reproduction, how to make disciples. Uh, we provide opportunities. We encourage them in the disciple-making process, and we release them to reproduce. Now, when we're in that worker and in that uh, disciple-making chair, uh, we recognize that we're both in those chairs individually and corporately. In, in other words, I, I'm supposed to be finding non-believers uh, in my life to share with, connect with, um, cultivate, right, those relationships. But then also as a church, we're doing this corporately as well. And so even though we've talked about these stages more uh, individually, we could look at them as a corporate where we are uh, saying to people, come and see, come follow Jesus, come and die, and come make disciples. So that's just an overview of the process again. So we, we have it clear in our mind, but we need to recognize it doesn't always go smoothly, does it? I mean, it's great to talk about. You can draw it on a board. Um, you can have a map, and uh, it just doesn't always seem to work out. And so let's talk about why. Mark chapter 4. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into the boat and sat in, uh, sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea and the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and he sowed. Some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it and yielded no grain. And the other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30, 
uh, fold and 60 fold and 100 fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with uh, the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, do you, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parable. So that, and he quotes Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9, they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a little while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those who are sown on the ground, on the good soil, are the ones who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. Over the years, there's been some debate on these these seeds that fall into ground and spring up. Uh, is there salvation there or, or not? And we're not going to get into the debate of that. What we're going to look at is the roadblocks that cause somebody to grow up into the, the final chair where they're producing fruit. And we could see the different chairs in here um, and, and look at it that way, but really we're just kind of focusing in on the roadblocks. And so the first roadblock is an external battle. And the external battle is based on the fact that the evil one is present in this story. And we must operate in the reality that the spiritual battle is going on. Look, one of the reasons why making disciples is so hard is because there is a literal battle that is going on behind the scenes between God and Satan. And we see this battle from the very beginning. When the serpent shows up in Genesis chapter 3, it doesn't describe where the serpent happens. We're just introduced to conflict. And he deceives Adam and Eve. And now we have a separation between God's creation and God. And this battle is all through the pages of Scripture. And you have to face disciple-making as if there is a real battle going on. And I would just say this. If we were at war as a nation, if we were at war, we would do things differently. Uh, priorities of money spending would be differently. Uh, priorities of time would be different. Um, what we would give our time and energy would just be different because we're at war. And if we as a church would live in the reality that we are at war, we would think and act differently. In Ephesians chapter 6, it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, 
And you know, when I think about that is when we have difficulty, it seems like we're wrestling against other people. But, but Paul says, no, you're not, not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This was written after Christ's death and resurrection. Paul is saying there is a real spiritual battle going on, and we must operate in that reality. We see it here in this, this Jesus just says, the one that comes and scoops up the seed is Satan. That's who it is. The second, we need to recognize that sin absolutely impacts the heart of the unbeliever. You, you, they're captives. They are under a spell, if you will, of the evil one. And we need to recognize the reality of that. Um, sin impacts the heart of the unbeliever. Sin absolutely distracts them. Uh, Paul is talking in uh, Timothy says, uh, have nothing to do with foolish Ignorant controversies. You know that uh, they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. Some of these opponents are non-believers. And he says, and, they, and, and, and the hope is that they come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. That's the reality. They're captured. Look, non-Christians are not your enemies. Democrats or Republicans are not your enemies. People of other religious groups are not your enemies. They are victims of the enemy. They're victims of the enemy. Sin also impacts the heart of the believer too, doesn't it? Um, what's impacted that? When, when Paul is writing this, this verse in 1 Timothy, or 2 Timothy that I just read, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 23 through 26, when, when, when Paul writes that, he's writing to Timothy, a pastor in Ephesus, and he's talking about his opponents both inside and outside the church. Sin impacts the heart of the believer as well. And we're going to see that in this passage. Um, sin impacts um, the circumstances of the unbeliever. My wife and I, early on in ministry, we were, we were doing a, uh, um, a seeker's Bible study, it was called. And we got it through uh, the Master's Seminary. And it was, a, I think, a six-week class. And part of the class was you can ask any questions you want. And so my wife and I held this Seekers Bible study, and we invited four or five non-Christians. And one of the things they taught in the training class was you need to pray for those people each week because Satan doesn't want them to come to that class. And it's just amazing the things that happened the day of the class. Oh, man, I really wanted to come, but, you know, uh, kid's sick. I really wanted to come, but we got a flat tire. I mean, just all these things. We just recognize the spiritual battle that's going on. as circumstances. You know, uh, people maybe aren't interested in Christianity because of a, of a bad experience. I've, if I had a dollar for every time somebody said to me, well, 
Yeah, I went to a Baptist church one time, and, you know, I, I, man, it's just so many times the church didn't act correctly uh, towards them or towards their family. And so there's all these different circumstances that draw people away, and we need to recognize that that's part of the battle. You know, just realizing here that the evil one um, is real, you know, I, he tells the story of birds coming and taking the seed, which is the word of God. And he says, and these along the path where the word is sown, when they hear Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that was sown. Let me just ask you this question. To Jesus, <coughs> was Satan real? According to Jesus, what his way of thinking, was Satan real? He told a parable about birds taking seed. And he said, this is what it means. And he named Satan. To Jesus, Satan is real. And I think sometimes we operate it as if we're not at war. The evil one isn't running around destroying things. And we're just here, just kind of just waiting for Jesus to return and all is good. One of the biggest distractions that we face externally is just the busyness of life. How does a path get, get hardened? It's hardened because people are walking across it. Uh, it's not a good place to sow seed because people just keep walking. They're just going back and forth. They're going back and forth. The soil hasn't been cultivated. One of the ways that Satan just keeps people distracted is just busyness. Pay the bills, get in a relationship, go on vacation, get a project, have kids, right? I don't have time for anything else. But Jesus goes on here. The battle isn't just externally. It's, it's not just the devil is doing all this stuff. There's something else going on too. There's an internal battle, and that battle is happening in my heart. So he says that some fall, uh, um, and these are the ones, verse uh, 16, the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. But they have no root in themselves. They endure for a while. When tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, not if tribulation and persecution arise, but when. Tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word. Immediately they fall away. The root here in this, this word tribulation, it stands out. The root is pressure. And so if I'm in the chair two, the high chair or the, we had the, what do we had the, the rocker up here. If I'm in that infant and child stage, a young believer, and I've been talking, I've heard that Jesus loves me and that he died for my sins and I can have new life in Christ. And all of a sudden I am undergoing tribulation or, or the root of the word is pressure. When the pressure comes, when the pressure comes, am I ready to withstand it? You know, when you lead somebody to Christ, I would take them to that Ephesians passage 
that our battle is not against flesh and blood and just be really honest with them. You have just entered into a spiritual battle. And Satan is not happy about the decision that you made to follow Jesus. And so you need to get ready because temptations and difficulties are going to come, but we're here with you. You see, sometimes we're just not honest about the road ahead for the disciple. And so we need to realize that, that how we react to the pressure will, will matter on how, how far we get into this Christian walk thing. The root is pressure or tribulation in the ESV, distress in the CSV, oppression, affliction. Also, it, 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 what's my reaction to persecution? Uh, what's my reaction to, um, to the peer pressure that comes up? When people are like, you really believe that stuff? Oh, man, that's for kids. You know, they're so excited about this thing, and then the people that they love are not excited about it, and so we need to prepare them for that as well. The reality is um, we, we fall because of our lack of preparation. We come to Christ, and we think that that's it. We think that we're, we're on the other side, and we just need to sit in a pew and wait for Jesus to return, and that's not at all the case. We've got a ahead of us, sanctification, moving towards holiness, all sorts of changes in my life, and things aren't at first going to get easier. They're going to get more difficult. So how are we going to handle the pressure? How are we going to handle the persecution or peer pressure? And how prepared are we for that? So that's why we said that you want to move that, that infant, right, from sharing everything and doing everything for them to connecting them, connecting them to God's word, connecting them to small group and accountability, uh, connecting them to purpose <coughs> because we need to root them because we know that the challenges are coming. Um, and then, so really what we're looking here, the key word is a rootedness. We want those roots to go deep. The next internal battle is the rocky places. The rocky places. So he goes on and he says, um, and others are the ones sown, verse 18, among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cause of this, this world and the deceitful of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the world and it proves unfruitful. Um, man, these are the people, they get in the, these, these difficult places and, and he specifically mentions three things. Um, and, I, and I want you to see them in the passage, uh, verse uh, 18. The cares of this world, worry, one of the things that chokes off life in Christ is worry. We're so worried about the things of this world that we're not trusting in God. Next, he says, the deceitfulness of riches, wealth. Wealth is a huge distraction. And somehow, we, we equate all wealth is good. Um, the Bible doesn't always equate it that way. And I know that some of you, this presses in on you, but the deceitfulness of riches. What's the deceitfulness of it? That you can trust in it, that it will make you happy, that you have security in it, that there is deceitfulness in that. And the third are wants, the desires for other things. The thing that chokes out 
the new believer is worry, wealth, and wants. If we move to the third chair, the young adult, we said that the key for the young adult is learn to die to self. And do you see where those things come into play together? Worry, wealth, and wants. I need to wrestle with dying to myself and trusting in God. Not going after everything I want, but what is for the kingdom of God. And so we pray fervently and truthfully and honestly, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Give us this day. I'm asking, entrusting in you for my provisions. I'm coming to you for my forgiveness of sin as I forgive other people. And I'm asking for your protection. And it's so ingrained in the heart of, of the mature believer uh, that we need to get rid of the worry, wealth, and wants of this world. Quite a challenge. Quite a challenge. Let me just say a word on the good soil here. This is a, this is a sermon about roadblocks. Um, but uh, we, we want to just touch for a moment on the good soil. Uh, he says, but there are those who are sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. I know that when we hear the word fruit, it's, it's always maybe intimidating um, means I have to lead somebody to Christ. But there's, there's different kinds of fruit mentioned in Scripture. The fruit of character. Uh, Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. That's fruit. Uh, there's the fruit of good works. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Um, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which are... God prepared that we should walk in them. This is fruit. And, and then there's the, the fruit of the harvest. The, there's the fruit of people. And notice in here, he says uh, they will bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Uh, I'm not a farmer, but uh, the 60-fold and 100-fold, that's, that's pretty aggressive farming. Um, that, that's miraculous. That's like, wow, look what God did. And look, what he's saying is we're not all going to bear the same amount of fruit, right? There's going to be those who are 30, there's going to be those who are 60, there's going to be those that are 100 fold. Look, we're not all uh, the same in this process. Um, but fruit should be coming out. We should see fruit. We should see people dying to self. Uh, we should see uh, people seeking uh, the good of those around them. We should see people uh, involved in ministry and good works. We should see more of a spirit of love, joy, peace, patience in our church. We, we should see a harvest of people coming to Christ. The final battle is the internal battle. And I said, uh, we got to deal with my heart, right? Because uh, I have worry. Uh, I have uh, desires for wealth. I have, I have wants. I fight against that. Uh, but there's also the battle uh, that happens because of, of your heart. And I'm not saying that specifically like I'm going to name anybody here. But what, what I mean by this is we, we see in the context of what's going on, uh, we can see it in, in, in the life of Jesus. If you just flip back a page in your Bible, just kind of, walk up to the events uh, leading to this. Uh, Jesus uh, healed a man with a withered hand and, and uh, the crowd uh, is, is growing, going to him and, and 
and he goes up on the mountain in chapter 13 and he calls his disciples. And then verse 20, it says, then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him for they were saying, he's out of his mind. And Jesus is out there making disciples and so much stuff is happening that his family's only conclusion, because there's all these sinners around him, is this guy must have lost his mind. I've seen this so many times when, when people are really doing ministry and they're out there and they're pouring their life into other people. It's, it's not the lost who try to kick them out. It's not the lost who stop them. It's the church. The church says, oh, you're doing too much. Okay, that's embarrassing. You can't do all that. We need to set up a system. We need to protect you. You're going to lose your mind. We see this, uh, it actually goes on, um, and it says in verse 22, and the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he's possessed by Beelzebub. So his family says he's lost his mind. The religious leader says he's demon-possessed. And then in verse 31, as if it hasn't had enough, it says, and his mothers and brothers came, and standing outside, they, they sent to him and called to him, and the crowds were sitting around him, and they said, your mothers and brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, here's my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and my sister. And so we see in the example of Jesus, he's got this battle with his family. He's got this battle with the religious leaders. And then Jesus even redefines family based on those who have died to self and are actually living out ministry. You know, sometimes as a church, we're, we're not that friendly to new believers. We're not that friendly to people who are being discipled. People go, man, why are Dave and Rich spending time with, with that person and they're not spending time with me? I've been here longer. Why does that person get to do that? They're new around here. He didn't ask me to do that. It's called disciple making. And we shouldn't be jealous of it. We should be out there doing it ourselves. We also see it in Paul's example, and we, we read this passage before. Let me just read it again. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents. Why are there opponents in the church? What, why? And Paul's just being honest with Timothy. You're going to be doing the right thing, and people are going to be fighting you. We fight discipleship. We get jealous when somebody gets moved up a chair. We get irritated when people over here are dying to self, and I haven't died to self, and I'm not getting what I want. Our hearts keep us from doing what God's called us to do. So what's the application in action? You know, we need to identify the roadblocks for us. And I would just say this, a good place to start. Worry, wealth, or wants. And get in your small group. Get with somebody that knows you. And, and just be honest. If you had to pick one, what is the one that keeps you from making disciples? Worry, wealth, or wants? 
Identify your hangups. What is it that keeps you from, from maybe wanting to see more disciples? We, we talked about this, and I should have done the math. But, uh, I encourage you to watch the midweek uh, uh, Dave and Rich show or whatever we're calling it from this last week. Uh, Rich and I had a great conversation about cultivate, cultivate, reap, and plant. And I said one of the things that people struggle with is that, you know, I don't want to be a big church. I don't want too many people coming here, you know. I like to be known, and I want to, I want to know everybody. And, and we, we say that, but look, here's my challenge to you in the cultivate, reap, and plant is I want each one of you to be praying for five people that you would like to see come to Christ. So if we have a, 135 people in our church or 130 or 100 people, and, and we're each praying for five people, what if they all show up next Sunday? Hopefully it's open, right? I mean, we're, we're, we are praying for people to come to Christ. And if God answers that prayer, we don't get to choose what size church we are. But what's your hang up with discipleship? What's your hang up with making disciples? Identify that. And then ask yourself, is that childlike behavior or is that dying to self behavior? And then identify the opportunities you have in your life. Where is it that you're rubbing shoulders with lost people where you can begin cultivating relationships and, and, and making an impact? Think about the opportunities uh, that we have as a church or at, at whatever. What is it going to be that we might be a healthy church that's making disciples. Well, I, I think this was an important study uh, for us as a church, and uh, it was good. I appreciate Rich jumping in there and helping us. Uh, we're going to jump into uh, Zephaniah next, next week and do a study of, of one of the minor prophets. Um, but we want to keep this idea of disciple-making and bearing fruit uh, in front of us as a church. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Even though it's different, we pray that you might speak to our hearts. Um, God, that we would be excited about motivated, uh, driven by your spirit to make disciples, to bear fruit, uh, to see the lost come home, to see lives changed. We pray that you would help lead us in that and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being with us this morning.